7 this morning, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, as you guys get in here and get your seats, and let's do the smart thing, and let's pray before we get started. As always, Lord, you wrote it through your spirit. I pray that you would teach and let our hearts be open, let our ears be open. I think of that passage where it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Help us to hear what the spirit is saying and help us to respond and to not walk out of this building being the same, but to grow deeper and closer to you in all that we say and do. Lord, lots of outreach and fellowship activities going on here the next couple months. They mean nothing without you. Pray for your blessing upon that in your name. Amen. Hey, I just want to add a couple quick addendums to the announcements there. I don't know if Renee mentioned the uh, prayer calendars uh, back there, but month of April, new prayer calendars. Take these home, put this up on your fridge. I highly encourage you something different to pray for each day of the month. Wonderful, just little nugget there as you kind of walk through your kitchen. Encourage you to do that as well. And don't forget the new Our Daily Breads are back there as well here for the month of April. Great way to start out your day with some devotion. Concerning those Saturday classes coming up, uh, the one I'm going to be teaching about the Passover, uh, I think we're going to kind of finish up that class with doing a little bit of the Passover meal itself. We're not going to do a full Passover meal, but we're going to bring in some of the elements of it just to kind of get a feel for that. So if you've ever had any questions about what the Passover is, what it means, what it represents, like I said, last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, but Passover is actually in April. What does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is our Passover lamb? How does that apply to what they went through in the book of Exodus? If you've had any questions, I encourage you to sign up for that. That's going to start next Saturday at 10 a.m. And also, if people are interested and they sign up too, Pastor Rich will be teaching a discipleship. I know that a lot of you have said it'd be nice to do discipleship, but Sunday mornings don't work. Saturday from 10 to 11.30, you got a chance to do discipleship with Rich. If you're interested in that, sign up, and you can see him as well. And don't forget, outreach coming up the 17th, heading over to Holgate Nursing Home. Get a chance to go over there and really minister to the residents and to the staff. If that's something that interests you, prayerfully consider that as well. Marriage retreat here in April, and then also uh, Jonathan's doing a family feud in May. I don't know if you want to get involved with that or not. I'll leave that one up to you there or not. So... uh, One of my boys asked me, they saw his family feud, and they said, Dad, why are we going to come fight? I don't know, buddy. (laughs) That could blow up in her face. So that's going on in May. It should be a lot of fun. Information's back in the foyer concerning that as well. Hey, we're going to be finishing up our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going verse by verse here through the book of Matthew. And a few weeks ago, I should say probably a few months ago, we started in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And the importance of this, this is how we live a godly life in an ungodly world. This is how we live for Christ in a world that doesn't care about living for Christ. And we started out in Matthew chapter 5 about the importance of blessed are the poor in spirit. That idea of understanding and knowing who Jesus is and having a relationship with him. That's what matters more than anything. And then once we have understood what it means to have a relationship with Christ, then we went into where it says, do not murder, do not commit adultery. But Jesus says, I don't want your outward obedience because I want your heart. I don't want outward obedience. I want your heart. And then we got into Matthew 6 about giving and fasting and praying. And Jesus said, I don't want your outward righteousness. He goes, I want your heart. And what he finishes up here in Matthew chapter 7, he goes, how do I know if I have your heart? And this lesson is going to teach us what does it mean to really know Christ 
and what that looks like. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. We talked about that last week a little bit, as we were talking about the resurrection. The understanding of Jesus is the only way. I can't stress that enough. The reason we're called Christians is because we're a follower of Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus makes it clear that I am the way, the truth, and life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. As we mentioned last week, the idea of following Christ, he kept it simple and it's safe. It's simple. There's only one way, one path. It's not complicated. And it's safe by being in Christ, following Christ. That is what saves us from sin. That's what saves us from hell because he's the only one. Since the tomb is empty, he's the only one that can give us eternal life. So, with that being said now, what does it mean to know him? All right, here's where we start this morning, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from the thorn bushes or figs from the thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Jesus says to really know him, to know who Christ is, you have to understand there's also going to be the false, the false prophets. What are they false about? Well, their motives. A lot of times you see people that are in it for the greed, they're in it for the money, the pride, and the power. They're not in it to represent Christ. They're not in it to see the world get changed. They're in it for themselves. You know, when Dawn and I used to have satellite, you have all these different Christian religious stations. And it seemed like almost every time you'd go to one of those stations to find something to watch, there's just somebody asking for money. And you wonder what the non-believing world thinks really of Christianity. So they're always asking for money. And if they weren't asking for money, they'll say something to the effect of, well, we're not asking for money for ourselves, but they wanted you to plant a seed gift into the Lord and they treat God like an investment banker. No, we just want to represent Christ. So these false prophets, they're in it for the greed, they're in it for the money, they're in it for the pride. They have their own church, they have their own ministry. Everybody looks at me, everybody watches me. There's a pride there. Or they're in it for the power. They want to build their own little kingdom. And as they build their own little kingdom, then they can rule the church any way they want. And Jesus says, beware of these false prophets. Now, how did the Old Testament deal with these false prophets? Well, according to Deuteronomy chapter 13, if you were in the Old Testament and you gave a prophecy and said, Thus saith the Lord, it was pretty simple. If what you said did not happen, you were taken out of the town and you were stoned to death. It was a great way to really stop false prophets. It made you really stop and think. Now, we don't do that today. So how do we tell if the person's a false prophet or not? Well, we already mentioned one way. Point number one, check their motives. Are they in it for the power? Are they in it for the pride? Are they in it for the money? If you just see a ministry or a pastor or somebody that's only in it for the pride, the power, and the money, probably a false prophet because they're not really wanting to represent Christ. Number two, do what they say line up with Scripture? God will never contradict His Word. Never. So somebody comes and says, thus saith the Lord, and what they say does not line up with Scripture, Scripture trumps them. So it has to line up with the Bible. Number three, do what they say is going to happen, does it really happen? Remember a few years ago when the guy said the world was ending in May, Jesus was returning? A lot of times people came up and said, what do you think of that? My response was pretty simple. Let's wait to May and see if it happens. 
If it happens, then we're home. If it didn't happen, the guy was wrong. A few years ago, someone came up to me and said they brought me an article that said the guy prophesied they were going to start building the temple in April. He goes, what do you think we should do about this? My response was, let's wait to April and see if they start building the temple. If they do, then the prophecy was true. If not, it was wrong. False prophet. Now, the problem with some of these false prophets is when it doesn't happen the way they say it's going to happen, they go back, change their story, they change the dates, etc. But it's those three things. Check their motives. Do you see a greed for money? Do you see pride? Do you see power? Is it about them or is it about Jesus? Number two, check the scripture. Do what they say line up with scripture or not? And number three, did it really happen? That's how you can start telling if the person's a false prophet or if it's true or not. Because Jesus said, beware of them. They will come in and they will look good and they will sound good. Verse 15, they will have on sheep's clothing. And boy, oh boy, they can look good and sound good. Paul taught in Acts chapter 20 when he left the church of Ephesus. He commanded them to stay true to God and the word. Because he says, they're going to come in and they are a wolf. He says, these false teachers are going to come in. And that was 2,000 years ago. Then John writes later in 1 John, let time reveal who they are. Because John writes in 1 John chapter 2 that they started out with us, but they did not finish with us. There's a saying that we use that false at the start is going to be false at the finish. So somebody comes in, sounds good, looks good. Let's see how they finish. Let's watch them for a while because time will show their motives and will show what's really going on. You know, we live right now in this season. If you go look at a fruit tree, I'm not good at trees. I can't tell if it's an apple tree, a pear tree, a peach tree, what have you. Six months from now, I'll be able to tell. Because the fruit will reveal what type of tree it is. And when you're around somebody for a while, you spend time with them, you start seeing the fruit. And as you see the fruit, it reveals who they are. It can be very difficult, though, and deceptive. We're going to use Judas as an example a lot this morning. Judas looked pretty good. Time showed he was not good. But Judas looked so good for a while. Remember this. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus said, I'm going to take this piece of bread, I'm going to dip it in, and who I hand it to is the person that's going to betray me. That is so straightforward. Jesus dips the bread, hands it to Judas, and says, what you do, go do quickly. And what did the other disciples think? Uh, Jesus just sent him out on an errand. They couldn't even think, they, it didn't even fathom to them that Judas could be the one. Because he looked so good, he sounded so good. But time revealed Judas's heart. The fruit came out there and saw that. Now, this is not judging people. As we joked a couple weeks ago, this is fruit inspecting. Because in Matthew 7, 1, we're not supposed to judge. What's that word judge mean? In the original language, it means to be judge, jury, executioner. It means I can look into your heart. I can see your motives. I know what you do and why you do it. And Jesus says, you can't do that. But Christ says you can look at their life and see how they live and you can see the fruit because there is fruit in your personal life. Look at verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. You will be around people and you will see what they do. You'll hear the words that come out of their mouth. You'll see their actions. You'll see how they live. And you'll be able to look at that fruit and say, is this a life that's focused on Christ? Or is this a life that's focused on something else? The fruit reveals who they are. Because the fruit will happen. It's inevitable. Verse 17. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. You will produce some type of fruit. It's either good or it's bad. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7 that it's either fruit to God or it's fruit to death. You guys live with people, you work with people, you see them. Every action they do is some type of fruit. Is it glorifying to God or is it something that's going to lead to death? Jesus is saying it will happen 
and it reveals who we are. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. You spend enough time with somebody and once again, you see how they live their lives. You see the words that come out of their mouth. You see how they respond to situations. You see them personally. You can see their fruit, which reveals their heart and it reveals what's important to them. Jesus makes this abundantly clear. Well, the problem is, I can do good things. I can make myself look good. Well, let's look at this, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Do you understand the severity of those three verses of what Jesus just said there? That is, that is a huge statement that he just said. Let's read that one more time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, the problem is these people are saying is, look at what we do. Verse 22, did we not look at me? I have to be right with the Lord. I've served in the children's ministry for 20 years. I'm there almost every Sunday. I read the Our Daily Breads. I serve at VBS. I come to church faithfully. I got to be right with the Lord. Well, what are you basing this on? Look at what I do. I must be right. That's not what makes you right with the Lord. Let's go back to the example of Judas. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. As best as we can tell by reading through the Gospels, Judas was probably casting out demons and doing wonders. But time revealed that Judas's heart was not focused on the Lord. Or what about Balaam from the book of Numbers? Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Balaam was a pretty good prophet in the Old Testament. He didn't want to be a good prophet, but he was a prophet. But he wasn't right with the Lord. What makes you right with the Lord is your spiritual standing with God. It's understanding who took care of your sins. What did Jesus do for you on the cross? What makes you right with the Lord is not what you do. It's who you know in Jesus Christ. What I know the Lord. Do we really understand what it means to know the Lord? See, this is the problem with our English language. We use the word, I know. And that just means so many different things. Somebody comes up to me and wants to talk about American history. Hey, do you know George Washington? Yeah, I know George Washington. Now, do I really know George Washington? Never met him, but I know him. I know what you're talking about. Somebody comes up and mentions Rich Betts. Do you know Rich Betts? Yeah, I know Rich Betts. Now, our English language, it makes it sound like I'm saying the exact same thing. I know George Washington like I know Rich Betts. No, there's no comparison there. One I've never met, I've only read about and studied. The other one I've known for 30 plus years and spent countless hours with him. See, in the English language, it's the same word. But in the Greek, it's two completely different words. See, in the Greek, the one first one is, if I know George Washington, it's, I'm aware of him. I have heard of him. I know him. The second know in the Greek means to know by experience or to know personally, closely, intimately. So when Jesus says right here, I never knew you in verse 23, he's using the second Greek word. He goes, I have never really met you. Now, I know you because I'm God, but I don't know you. Isn't that the truth? I know you, but I don't know you. See, what Jesus is saying is here, I don't know who you are. 
I've heard of you. I'm aware of you. But I do not know you personally. I do not know you intimately. We do not have a relationship. And these people would come back and say, we have to have a relationship, Jesus. Remember, we were casting out demons together and doing miracles together and prophesying together. And Jesus says, yeah, I never knew you. Because they never had their heart given completely over to the Lord. Guys, that's a pretty serious thing. Because we live, especially here in Northwest Ohio, we live in an area where most everybody you run into knows God. They do. And so since they know God, they think they're okay. I tell you, my years of of walking with the Lord and my years of witnessing, I would much rather talk to someone who is an agnostic or an atheist than talk to someone who's been in church their whole life but doesn't really know the Lord. Because the first group is questioning, is wondering, and dare I say even arguing or fighting. Hey, let's get into the scriptures. Let's see what the Bible says. The second group, they think they're completely okay. There's been so many times I've been sharing Christ with somebody. It's like, are you a Christian? Well, I was baptized at this age. I was confirmed at this age. I did this at this age. Okay, I understand what you did, but was there ever a time where you really understood that Jesus Christ took your sins on the cross for you? See, they know God. First Greek word, they're aware of him. But they don't know him personally by experience and intimately. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. And we live in an area today, a society today, where almost everybody knows God. But do they really know him? And what Jesus is trying to say, listen to this one more time, verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I refer to verses 21, 22, and 23 as these people have fooled themselves into salvation. They fooled themselves into thinking they're okay with God. But they really never knew him personally. And it's tough. Some people don't want to know him. So what do you do? Remember what our goal is in life. Our goal is to glorify God and all we do and say by pointing people towards Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We introduce. I've been talking to this gal, and first time I talked to her, she called up about a situation. We talked, and we talked about the problem. And the problem really is not the problem. The problem is she doesn't know Christ. So I bring the conversation back to the Lord, hopefully, through the Holy Spirit, and we start talking about what it means to have a relationship with God. And she says, I don't want to talk about this. I'm done. And she gets off the phone. Guess what? She calls back a week later. Same situation. Same problem. We talk about the problem. Bring the conversation back to the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And this time we talk a little bit more about the Lord. And then she says, I'm done. I don't want to talk. Guess what? I have to call her this week. (laughs) And what we're going to do? We're going to talk a little more about the Lord. Just out there planting seeds. Now, if you ask her, she knows God. But she doesn't know Him. She's aware of Him. She understands Him. She understands there's a Bible and a church. She understands heaven. She understands hell. But does she really know him according to this definition, verses 21 through 23? No, she doesn't know him. And the problem is the church today, not just here, but I'm talking the church in the world today, is full of people that know God, but they don't know him personally. And they fooled themselves into salvation. And this is why this passage here in 21 through 23 is so vitally important. To really understand where you stand with the Lord. Because God is trying to make this very simple. Look in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fail, for it was founded on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. See, listen to this. How simple is God trying to make this? Remember last week, simple and safe. There's two options. Two options. Verses 13 through 14. Either go the narrow gate to life or the wide path to destruction. Verses 15 through 20. You either have good fruit or you have bad fruit. Or as Romans 7 says, fruit to God or fruit to death. And the verses 24 through 27. You build your foundation either on the rock or the sand. There's only two choices. Now, we like to really fool ourselves into this world thinking that we have all these choices in life. Almost every decision you make is really just one of two choices. You're going to leave here today, and guess what? You will either speed or not speed. You either stop at the stop sign or you won't stop at the stop sign. There's only two choices. You're going to go into a store. You're going to buy a loaf of bread. You will either buy the loaf of bread or you won't. There are no other options. You're going to get up tomorrow, and you're either going to go to work or not go to work. We really try to complicate life and make it sound like we have all these deep choices and I'm my own man and I'm going to figure out my own path. God says, yeah, you really have two paths. You want the narrow path to life or the wide path to destruction? No, I'm going to forge my own path. No, there's not. Because you're forging your own path is really just getting on the wide path to destruction. Well, I'm going to go be my own man. Nope, you're really going to either produce good fruit or bad fruit. There's really no middle ground. Well, I'm going to build my own house. Yeah, you are. It's either going to be on the rock of Christ or it's not on the rock of Christ. Everything we do has two options. And the Lord says, which one are you going to do? And God says, I have made this so simple for you. Choose the narrow path that leads to life. Choose the good fruit that leads to life. And choose the foundation that will keep your house from falling down. He makes it very clear. Now, back to this foundation of the house in verses 24 through 27. Do you ever realize how similar we are as believers to the non-believing world? The only difference is we know Christ and they don't. Because we have the same building materials that they have. Okay, you're, most of you are going to go out to work and you're going to work with non-believers. And you're going to get roughly the same amount of pay, work the same amount of hours, have about the same amount of benefits, and have the same type of job. You're going to come home to basically the same type of house, drive very similar cars. You're going to have a very similar life. Because you all have about the same building materials in life. Believers are going to get cancer just like non-believers are going to get cancer. Believers are going to have colds just like non-believers have. Same building materials. The only difference is we have chosen what foundation to build on. Now, the problem is people try to fool themselves or think themselves into that. Well, no, your life is so much better or different than mine. If I had a wife like yours, my marriage would be different. I love my wife. Proverbs says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Guess what my wife has, though? She has sin nature, just like every other wife in the world. And she married a man that has sin nature. Not as much sin nature as her, but has married a man that has sin nature. Guess what? My kids have sin nature. We have the same building materials that everybody else has. Because I've had people come up to me and say, well, you know what? I'd be with the Lord like you're with the Lord if I had fill in the blank. You have the same building materials I have. I have just chosen to build on the foundation of Christ. Well, your upbringing versus my upbringing. Listen, I know tons of people out at this church that if you go back and look at their childhood, it was the most dysfunctional of dysfunctional. But they chose to build their house on the rock of Christ. Okay? Well, if I had the opportunities, listen, we're all given similar opportunities. No, I've been dealt a bad hand in life. I know people out here that have dealt horrible hands in life. But they chose to build their rock, build their house on the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ. 
You have the same building materials as everybody else, and the non-believing world has the same building materials as everybody else. You just have to choose where to build. Well, if things have happened in my life that are unfair, guess what? According to verses 24 through 27, the same weather hits the believer as it hits the non-believer. You're going to have rainstorms as a believer. Non-believers are going to have rainstorms. Cars will break down. Kids will get sick. Children will have issues. There will be problems all over. We all have the same weather. We all have the same building materials. We just choose what to build on. That's what we do. And what Jesus is trying to say here is, what are you going to build on? What's your foundation going to be? And this is the pure simplicity of this lesson here today. Because he makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 3.11, there's no other foundation that anyone can lay other than the foundation of Christ Jesus. Almost every wedding I do, I say this comment. A life not built on Christ will not last, and a marriage not built on Christ will not last. Because that's how simple life is. You have to build your marriage, you have to build your life, you have to build every decision you make on the foundation of Christ. Verse 24, therefore who hears these things? See, we all hear it. Now what are we going to do with it? Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Because there's a part of us that wants to focus on us, isn't there? You know, it goes back to how do you know the false prophets? Look at their motives. The pride, the power, the greed, the money, they're focusing on them. Am I really willing to sacrifice my life and say, I'm going to focus on the Lord and not me? It's a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult thing no matter what job you have, be it ministry or not ministry. I remember years ago, before Don and I had kids, there was a guy out here that invited us up to a church in Toledo for a, a Thursday night service. He goes, you need to come kind of check this out and see what you think. So Don and I went up with him and his brother. And as we pulled into the church, it was a very large church, it's hard to find a parking spot. So you do what every typical person does. You want to have the spot closest to the church or the building, right? So you immediately pull up there hoping to find that miraculous spot that is available. So you get right up by the entrance door, and they're all reserved parking. And who are they all reserved for? Pastor and staff. And as I drove by that, I will never forget BMWs, Mercedes-Benzes, etc. And right then and there, you got a glimpse of what was important to that church. The motives, the money, the what have you there. Because that's what was important. Get them up front, park them close, and let's all display what we have. Listen, it's not about us. And if my 2009 Kia Spectra with 90,000 miles intimidates you, I'm sorry for that. I'm not, I'm not trying to push you away from Jesus. Because it's not about us. It's about Him. And really what it comes down to in verses 24 through 27 is, listen, choose where you want to build. Quit complaining. Quit saying that you don't have a say in any of this and quit saying life is unfair. Jesus is saying in verses 24 through 27, you hear my words. He goes, now choose. Where are you going to build? Sand or rock? Okay, now we go back to verses 13 through 14. Where are you going to walk? Narrow to life or wide to destruction? Verses 15 through 20, what type of fruit are you going to produce? Good fruit, bad fruit, fruit to God or fruit to death? You get to choose. That's the beauty of this. I get to stop and say, Lord, with this life you've blessed me with, I want to follow you. I want to go the path that you've called me to. And I want to be the man that you've called me to be. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 3, please? Very 
Very simply put, Lord, I want to know you. Not be aware of you. Not just know that you exist. But to know you. Not just believe in a God. But put my faith in the everlasting trust of Jesus Christ. Remember what the book of James says. Even the demons believe in God. But what does it mean for us? 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this foundation. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 3. This is the verse I mentioned earlier. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I, I, let's just keep this so straightforward. That's the only foundation that can be laid. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, you get to choose how you're going to build now. Verse 13. Each one's work will become clear. For the day, the day of judgment, will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and that fire will test out each one's work of what sort it is. We will stand before the Lord and be looked at and tested to see. Now, if you're born again and saved, this is not a judgment of judgment to heaven or hell. That's already been decided. You have heaven through Jesus Christ. But it's our motives that we're talking about here. Why am I doing what I do? What is my heart looking at here? What is it? Verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through the fire. I choose how to build on that foundation. I, I will suffer loss, but I'm still saved. Now, the question is here, we really have to stop and ask ourselves this. Is First off, number one, what path did you choose? Did you choose the narrow path to life? Then amen, you're born again and saved in Jesus Christ. You have built your house on the foundation of the rock and they're going to have storms and weather, and it's going to blow you down, knock you down, but the Lord is with you. So amen to that. So that's question number one. Now, if you didn't choose that path, that's what we've got to talk about right now. We've got to talk about there is no other path to life. Yes, wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many will find it. So you can go out there and find many paths that's going to take you to some type of spiritual enlightenment, what have you. I don't know, but it's going to always lead to destruction. Christ has made it simple. Christ has made it safe. Is that what you want? Now, concerning those that are walking with the Lord and have your foundation on the rock, how are you building on that? What does your marriage look like? What does your personal life look like? What does your private life look like? We all have closets that we like to lock things in and throw away the key. And Jesus, those are the first things he does. First things he does. He wants to get into those areas that we're trying to keep because he says, that's the area I want to clean out. And we have to ask ourselves, because Paul is saying right here, how are you choosing to build on this foundation of Christ? So that's what we need to know. If you're here today and saved, amen. How are you building on that foundation now? If you're here today and you're not saved, why are you going down the path that's wide to destruction? Because I want you to walk out of this building today knowing Christ, not being aware of him, not having a head knowledge of him, but to know intimately by experience what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because that is all that matters at this moment. It's heaven or hell. That's really what matters. And as we kind of get ready here to kind of close up and just kind of pray and just kind of go through this, look at verses 28 and 29 of Matthew chapter 7. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. These words of Christ are the words of authority. These words are the words that are going to tell us about heaven and hell and all of eternity. And the question is, what are we going to do with these words? How are we going to live with this? And as we get ready to close up here in worship, what I want to do is this. 
is I want to make sure everybody has the opportunity because you're all given the same building materials. I just want to make sure we all have the opportunity on what foundation we're going to build. While they're doing the final worship song, if you've got something you want to pray about, I'm going to be standing in the back. Maybe you have never really known Christ, to know him personally, intimately. Come back, and I would love to get a chance to pray with you. Or maybe you're looking at your life, and you're like, okay, James, I know Christ, but I'm not building the way I should. Come back, and let's pray together. And maybe you just want to sit there during this last worship song and just really stop and think about the words. If I remember correctly, you guys are doing, Marv, you guys are doing seek first, right? Seek ye first. That was the verse that we started out this year with, is Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What a great song just to stop and think about. What does it mean to really seek him first in my life, personally, privately, publicly? And am I really stopping and saying, Lord, that's the foundation I want? I just encourage you as we do this final song to prayerfully pray that song, sing that song, and let your heart seek him, and just give those things over to the Lord. And as you're praying that, you're saying, I want someone to pray with me. I'll be back there in the back. Come back and grab me. If I'm praying with somebody as we're closing out, Marv will close you out with prayer. If I don't get a chance to shake your hand, great to see you guys. And I just want to encourage you, prayerfully consider some of these Saturday classes. It's great opportunities to go deeper in the Lord. Prayerfully encourage the... Um, 17th, heading over to Holgate. If you just want to get your hands dirty and just get over there and say, I really want to get out there and represent Christ. Great ministry. Fellowship opportunities coming up of the movie next week and also the family feud coming up in May. Just opportunities there to be blessed by fellowship. But hey, let's pray here. And if the worship team wants to come up and get ready. Lord, as we just look at your word here.